Yeah, because I shouldn't know your bloody name. I've known you for multiple years. Yeah, so. that's fine. Hey everyone, this is James from Ludic Language Pedagogy, and on today's podcast, I am joined by Aaron Hung and Ben Tanyawat Pokin, and they are two game-based language teachers who have been doing some great stuff and I'm really excited to introduce them to everybody. So um, let's get started. We'll go in alphabetical order. Um, Aaron, who are you? Let us know. Hi, um, I'm Aaron. I'm a professor at um, Adelphi University in Garden City, New York, and I'm in the educational technology program. So I don't teach in language. Um, I don't use games in language learning per se, but I do uh, teach about games and that's also part of my research. Excellent. Ben. I am Ben, and uh, I teach at Nitsumeikan University in Japan, uh, same country as James and Jonathan. Uh, I'm only a uh, lecturer, not a professor, uh, lecturer slash researcher. Um, I do use, yeah, <laughs> I do use uh, games in my classrooms, but only, uh, I don't think I use them to the extent that uh, I know that James and Jonathan do. Most of my research up until now has, well, up until like this past year, uh, most of my research was in the um, uh, extramural side of, of game-based learning. So kind of looking into how students uh, could use games outside of the classroom. Uh, but lately, I've been trying to move it more into a more teacher-centric um, perspective. Cool. We'll get into that later. Nice. Um, so yeah, let's, let's dive straight in. Um, basically, I will, we will, the audience and me, we will be learning more about these two lovely gentlemen as we go through the podcast. So I'll start with the first question of 13. First question. What or who inspired you to start teaching with games? In terms of the people, um, there were, well, first I should say that the people who inspired me to start looking into games for teaching and, and learning were often not the ones I ended up gravitating towards. So um, I was growing up, I was very much, I didn't, growing up, I didn't, we didn't have like a console or anything. We, was, we weren't a huge gaming family. And so, my cousins in Taiwan, I grew up in Malaysia, and so my cousins in Taiwan um, were much, much more into that, and I was, uh, they got me interested in games um, because they were always talking about it. And, um, and then in terms of the scholar that I guess I'll eventually talk about is, is would be Jim G started me interested in the serious um, study of games as something worthy of you know, kind of academic research as opposed to just mm. something you do for fun. Gotcha. Cool. Oh, and the game, sorry. And the game that really got me interested is Civilization. The original uh, Civilization, um, I first played it when I was visiting my cousins in Australia, and I was up till 5 a.m. playing it, and <laughs> it was yeah. amazing. And, and I think the, the, the initial... Um, enthusiasm has never been replicated in the sequels like um as they got better as they got better in terms of design and certainly graphics um i think the initial what got me attracted has never been replicated which i think makes sense i think it's kind of like that first love you have towards something um right so yeah thanks ben um, so i guess i'll go yeah um i think i mean ever since i was small i always played games like i remember like one of my first like earliest memories is of me playing games um and i always lived in a household where we spoke thai um inside our house but i lived in america i grew up in virginia and so you know i was always living between cultures and um i do feel that a lot of my um because i do remember that i had to learn english when i was really really small um 
uh, my first language was Thai, and then I learned uh, English by going to school. But also, I mean, I didn't like this. Kind of sounds kind of sad, but I didn't really like play game, or I didn't like play with a lot of other children. So I like played a whole lot of like you know Final Fantasy and like Diablo and stuff, and those kind of role playing games. And so I kind of took in a lot of English from that. And, um, you know, just going along in my life. And then um, I remember I wanted to study Japanese, and that's what I got my bachelor's degree in. And I remember I would um, uh, import games from Japan to play them and kind of to do the same thing that I did when I was young, but this time I was trying to do it again when I was 18. And now my wife is Japanese. We speak Japanese. And I think I've, you know, I've reached a certain level of proficiency that's due in part to games. And so when I had to come up with an idea for a master's thesis and what I wanted to do, and I knew I wanted to do it in education, um, I kind of wanted to um, really dig deeper into how those processes kind of worked and how this kind of like playing games at home helped me, um, you know, review um, things that I learned from like workbooks, things I learned from class. Um, yeah, and that kind of that, you know, brought me um, to where I am today. But in terms of like scholars that really helped me out, um, I think the person who really um, introduced me to researching games, like really intensely researching games, was actually Mark Peterson um, from Kyoto University. Um, I remember I met him at a conference and he said, hey, I know some guys, you know, James and Jonathan, and they have a, a Slack group. You want to, um, I can introduce you to them. And that's how I got uh, originally involved in LLP. Interesting. Nice. So your, your inspiration was from personal experience then, essentially. Yes, entirely. And then using, yeah, similar, yeah. Mm. I get it. Similar to my, my own experiences. Yep. Brilliant. Um, let's have a look here. So uh, you mentioned, Aaron, that you don't teach with games, but you, you use games in class as a, a subject of focus. Is that correct? How, how, can you describe right. it? So uh, the question is that, so how did you start using games in the classroom and that kind of origin of you using a game in the class. Like, can you tell us a bit about that? Uh, yes. I actually interpret this question as how did you get started with your research? So, <laughs> okay, that's that's fine. Uh, yeah, yeah, perfect. Um, okay. Uh, and, and this is this, this might be a little bit long, so apologies for that. Um, it's really so interesting good. that and you men mentioned uh, that you grew up playing games and you were importing games from Japan because mm -hmm. that was kind of my interest because I was interested, as I was saying, my cousin grew up in Taiwan and so they were um, non-native English speakers and I was when I was looking for a research topic, I became interested in people who are playing games in a different language um, mm -hmm. and so people who are uh, like my cousin playing it in English or someone who were playing um, uh, games in Japanese and, and they wanted to play it in its original form either because it came out earlier or because they wanted kind of the pure kind of original um, uh, feel of the game and mm -hmm. you know this is before uh, games now often the, the larger games come up and in, in, come out in several languages so um, but I'm sure this still continues and you know growing up my I had a cousin who would who would um Kind of fax me. We were kids, and we were like fax me from Taiwan um, to translate games for him. Like you know, he came across this phrase, and what does this mean? Mm. Um, and then later on, when I was in grad school, I, I was I saw the same thing. I was I was going on message boards, and I saw that there were these Taiwanese players who were playing Morrowind. This is the third. I think it was the third Elder Scrolls game. Um, and they were trying to make sense of the language. Now, if you know the series, you know that the people, the characters in the game, they don't speak 
you know, modern English, right? They speak this kind of archaic mm -hmm. fantasy English. And then there's game-specific jargon, you know, weapons, spells, and all that stuff. So it wasn't just a matter of looking up dictionary definitions. It was really understand, you know, what G would call the discourse, right? So mm -hmm. um, at the time I was in... At Teachers College, I was at a, I was in a TESOL program, and I was originally going to approach it from this kind of language learning strategies um, approach. Um, but there was also a program called Language Literacy and Technology, which is in a different department. There's whole politics I won't get into. But um, mm -hmm. I found myself drawn into the faculty in this other program, so I eventually transferred to it. And so I didn't. So I kind of moved away from TESOL um, or that specific TESOL approach, and that brought me to G. Um, Mm. And, and his book just came out. This is in 2003. It came out, and here was a, a very well-respected literacy scholar who didn't start off in games, but he wrote this book on games. Mm. And I was I actually was able to attend some talks with him and and even interact with him. So, um, but then eventually, what I found, at least in that particular book on language and literacy, was that it was very personal. It was anecdotal. It was not kind of built on this evidence that I was interested in, even though I, it kind of makes sense, like everything he was talking about. Um, and, and then I kind of, so I kind of kept looking for how to approach it. And then I stumbled into this um, whole body of work. I think it was initially, <laughs> I stumbled into Goffman's um, book, A Strategic Interactions, which was... Oh, nice. I, I don't remember the the day I think it was in the '60s that it came out. So this is kind of less mm. well known than his, you know, presentation of everyday life or our forms of talk and frame analysis. So, um, and that got me into the whole simulations and gaming community that was uh, that came that existed in the six, '60s and '70s. Mm. Um, mm. There was Clock Gap's book, Serious Games, that and and you know when in the 2000s the idea of serious games seemed so new, but here was someone who was writing it in 1970. Um, and then Richard Duke's book, um, Gaming the Future's Language. And, and both of these are back in print now. So if anyone wants to look at it, um, I would really uh, recommend it. And I actually found these books really interesting because they say new things that even now it's, it's not um, emphasized enough, I think. Uh, and if you take like their books and put it next to G or whoever else, it's very similar. The idea, the kind of underlying premise is very, very similar. Um, and now, of course, G's book has the research from the learning science you can build on and draw on. But otherwise, um, it's very similar. And and they come from different backgrounds. Like Abd was coming from game theory and political science, and Duke was coming from Gestalt psychology. And since I was in that era of the 60s and 70s, I kind of got into this. Um, this kind of niche field of sociology called ethnomethodology, um, which is to study how people make sense and find meaning in everyday life. Like, how do they construct meaning? Mm. And for me, that was wow. the most interesting way of approaching games, whether it's from someone who is um, approaching a game as a non-native, you know, compared to the game, non-native speaker, or even just a, a regular person. Uh, but even if you do understand the game's language, like you still, because the game itself by definition is designed, right? It's an artificial environment. It mm -hmm. could simulate real life in varying degrees of... of um, yes. Of, so. I got a couple of questions, uh, if you don't yeah. mind me. It, it, I was almost done anyway. If you don't mind me asking. Uh, the first one, okay, then I'll let you finish. Go for <laughs> it. <laughs> no, I was going to end there. Like, So that was kind of basically my approach that I was trying to... 
Oh. Yeah, okay, that's great. Then I do have two questions based on that. First one, could you uh, mention that second book again? I wasn't familiar with it. Gaming as Design, did you say? Or what, what was it oh, called? Uh, gaming, the book from the, the Future's 70s. Language. Gaming, the Future's Language. Yep. Okay. And this was a uh, 60s, 70s, fairly, well, 40 years ago book. 74. Written, written. Yeah. And can you tell us a bit about that? Right. It's really interesting because the way Richard Duke um, approaches is to say that gaming is a language. It's it's called he calls it the features language because it's future oriented, right? So if you oh. think of chess, um, mm. when you look at mm -hmm. chess, you are thinking of future in the sense of future, the move next move, the game. Yeah. Um, and players approach all games from that perspective. And and so if you um, if it makes sense for you to teach or communicate through that particular medium, um, then gaming is a perfect way. And what I really like about that book is that he presents games as, and he kind of compares to all these different ways that we communicate, right? We communicate through graphics, through gestures, through language, obviously. Um, and all of these different ways we communicate have their affordances, right? Um, so he talks about, you know, like, um, what do you call those people? Ground crew and airplane, they use signals. That's kind of one form of communication. And all of these yeah. ways we communicate um, allows us to you know, make sense or should make sense in that particular way. And so gaming is suited for um, that, you know, for that, it, the context. And I think what's important is also he's not saying gaming is kind of this pinnacle or this best way to, to communicate or whatever. It's saying it's one form and it makes sense. Um, and it has a lot of these advantages because it can, can communicate com complexities, you know, system, system think, systemic thinking, mm. that kind of thing. Mm. So yeah. um, I found that to be a really interesting take on um, gaming. Also, because it has this overlap with what you know, G would call discourse or whatever it is, um, that uh, th I thought it was an interesting intersection. And unfortunately, those two communities, the two gaming sub-communities um, at the time seemed kind of separate. Like I noticed that these people were never cited by, you know, to obviously each other. <laughs> yeah. Mm. So obviously there was some just like miscommunication or whatever, you know, that's typical in academia, mm. right? People are kind of talking mm -hmm. to each other decades apart. Um, so uh, I, I tried to bring those two together and, and, and kind of finding a way forward through that. Yeah, that, that was going to be my second question. So how do those things apply to your research and what is your research agenda? Well, it's evolved a lot since um, right now. I've, I've been dabbling a lot more in what we might call gamification, but I'm still interested in... Oh, yeah, I want to talk to you about that later. <laughs> okay, great. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I'm still interested in this idea of how do how are things not just communicated, but, but um, and again, this is not just from a language learning perspective, but how mm -hmm. do players mutually, you know, assuming this is a multiplayer game, um, uh, how do they make <laughs> sense of, of things that uh, within, so just an example, a, a follow-up kind of set of data that I collected. Um, I was in Seattle doing a postdoc, and I, I came across these uh, teens who were, um, were playing first-person shooters, and um, and they were talking so much uh, I, I, over Xbox that I was fascinated. Um, and so I was listening to the way that, that they were communicating um, things to each other. You know, if you imagine being in a first-person 
a, a first-person shooter game at different parts of the map, trying to communicate what they need to do, and um, you know, and they all obviously shouting like, "Oh, you're a horrible player!" And what does that mean mm-hmm. in the game? Um, it it was really interesting how much of that wasn't just something that is part of the game. Like the game can decide that for you. It was so much part of the community. Like your your fellow players will let you know whether you're a good player, kind of independent of whether the game thinks you're a good player, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so I think it's like there's the game, and then there's all the stuff happening outside of it that is so the big D discourse, capital D discourse, yeah, yeah. And I okay. think the other okay, thing okay. is also yeah. I, I I stumble I used stumbled a lot because that was basically how it happened. Um, <laughs> Happy little accidents. Happy accidents, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Ethno methodology became a big influence of today's study of human computer interface. The idea of there's this thing that someone designed, and then there's the people interacting with it, and the the way that people make sense of interfaces and 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 um, machines, I guess, uh, became a topic of study. And I think I kind of approach it from that angle as well, in in terms of like the design and the people interacting. I think that is probably the overarching um, interest I have um, that cuts across you know, my interest in curriculum and gamification is that there's this thing that we try to design as you know, instructors or, or, or um, uh, instructional designers. Um, and then there are the people, the players, the students, whoever that interacts with it. And they don't always interact with it the way you intend it to. And there's this kind of back and forth that I find really fascinating. All right, Ben. Yeah. So if we're talking about like how we started research, like I definitely, um, I did my master's at Ritsumekan and all my professors were very much like really traditional applied linguistics um, researchers. Um, so I got my start in the world of um, games for language learning or game-based language teaching. Uh, and I, I definitely came at it from like the um, vocabulary comprehension, vocabulary acquisition like um, way. And so... Um, Definitely, like I was coming at it from um, like measuring students and how more, how many more words they would get from playing games for a certain amount right. of time. You know, their word recognition rates, their re- reading comprehensions. Um, and it wasn't actually until I met James Jonathan that I realized that that maybe the field is kind of very, you know, the majority of the research is just too much of that kind of research in it. Um, I thought that a lot of the stuff that I was doing with games and, and in vocabulary research and reading comprehension, I thought a lot of that was novel, but, um, and I had all this research to kind of like build on top of, but at the same time, you know, taking a step back and looking at it, um, from a different perspective, I realized that maybe we were focusing a little bit too much on how, um, just like the, the, like, it's kind of a, for lack of a better phrase, like just like low hanging fruit. Like it's exactly just, what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. It's just really easy to check like vocabulary after playing a game for like 30 minutes or an hour. What I did was two months. Um, mm. um, but I think it was really similar to you, Aaron, is that um, looking or reading through a lot of uh, James Paul G's work um, was real. Like it opened my eyes to a whole another world like literacy and literacy in terms of gaming, like situated con- or situated meaning. And um, there, there's that paper of his where he has like a really long list of why games are <laughs> uh, like good learning machines and that, you know, we, pe- players can sandbox. Uh, there's um, failure without consequence. 
And a lot of that really struck me as probably that was what helped me um, learn like when I was younger, how that probably what was helped me learn English uh, and then and then Japanese after that. Um, and then, I mean, this was before I met James Jonathan and we really kind of started uh, getting involved with with FP. But um, it was kind of like working, working from there and slowly um, changing my perspective on how uh, people learn or can learn or maybe even like should learn uh with games um and it just slowly evolved over time i mean i I, i've I've very much tried to shake off that my background of uh really kind of hardcore applied linguistics you know very kind of traditional ways of looking at how only like small little facets of uh language knowledge um acquired over over time Hmm. um but yeah um now uh, I've probably like lately what I've been trying to focus on more um, because the um, well my my research in with uh, extramural games learning that kind of hit a dead end after a while um, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, institutional support for that uh, where I am at Ritsumekon I mean at Ritsumekon we do have uh, this whole like I, no one really knows about it but there's this whole like gaming <laughs> research group there apparently. Um, and one of the one of the des- original designers of the nin- the original Nintendo actually works at Nintendo. I never knew this. Hmm. Uh, and they have this like gaming research group, but they don't al- allow like anyone new into it for some reason. I think it's more like a, the history of games uh, okay. rather than you know pushing the the field of like, learning with games forward. Game um, studies him, hmm. dude. Uh, that seems fine to me. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron, hit us up. So, if we consider gamification to be not games, um, then um, I don't really. Then, in that case, I don't really teach with games that much. I have a, I, I teach a class. I haven't taught it for a while now, but I, I teach a class called Learning with Video Games, right. um, where we will play games in order to understand what is it, you know, what the kind of the function of the game. So, we've played board games like Lifeboats and oh, um, nice. Pandemic. Is that one of them? Yep, yep. yep. Um, nice. And uh, this Very is a card cool. game about, about, yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> there was a card game. I don't remember the name. I think it's were- Werewolves or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. One Night Werewolf. Is that one the one? Werewolf? Yes, that one. Um, I had borrowed that from a friend. I have other board games, um, but um, or card games, rather. Um, mm. And uh, so that's what I was teaching. I am planning to teach a, a kind of an escape room game. Okay. Of course. Mm. Escape room course um, mm-hmm. next oh. fall. Um, it's very early planning stages. I had a I have a graduate who is really interested in escape rooms, and I'm kind of curious about the idea of using that kind of concept in in teaching. Um, we're not really sure. We're we're mm. like we don't, we're not sure what we're going to do with it yet. Okay, but that would be coming. Is up. it safe? Um, is it safe to assume that your teaching and your research don't necessarily uh, overlap that much then, or I'm just trying to get a, 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 right. a gauge of yeah the... they don't okay yeah my my course the courses aren't driven by my my research for a bit wow, okay worse. gotcha gotcha <laughs> but you're interested in gamification as let's say a kind of game like design of the class and that's something that you have done or are going to be doing or tell us about that, that. that's something that's kind of ongoing um, ongoing okay yeah. Okay, we'll don't we'll dive into that in a little bit later. Um, I have some some interesting okay. questions about gamification, whether it'll be in the podcast or not. We'll see. Um, okay, we're going to move on to the next section. 
the classroom mm. context. Whoa. Um, so what kind of institution do you work at? We'll start with Aaron. Well, back in the 60s, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I work at Adolfo University. The department is curriculum and, um, yeah, the department is curriculum instruction. Um, it's, I don't know what, what kind of institute. It's just like a mid-sized university, I guess. Mm -hmm. Interesting department. What kind of courses do you have in the department? Um, so it's the, the program is educational technology. So like I said, um, teaching with, with video games, I, I teach courses on instructional design, digital literacies. Mm. Um, let's see. Uh, what else? I don't teach, like online learning, that kind mm. of thing. Gotcha. Yeah. Ben? Uh, I teach at Nitsumeikan University. It's a university based in Kyoto, Japan. Um, I'm a part of the Language Learning and Education Center. Um, which means that I pretty much work in like four different departments. I work in the law. My main uh, kind of attachment is the Department of Law. So I teach a lot of law students. Um, I teach some humanities students. I teach uh, one seminar class. Actually, it's um, uh, similar to what uh, Aaron was talking about. Um, I have one class where we take games and we study them like pieces of literature. Um, so I'll, I'll pick one game and we'll study it for like four weeks and kind of talk about all the different meanings, the interpretations, um, and like psychological effects it could have on, uh, players and things like that. Um, and yeah, that's, um, it's just, you know, the general language teaching with one extra kind of elective that I teach. Great. Um, next question. How widespread is the use of games at your institution? Do you think, uh, we'll start with Ben then. I see he's keen to answer. Uh, zero i'm really? probably the only person that does it um as i told you like they, there's that games research and learning group but like they don't they have like zero existence value i, I don't mean about research as well i mean like do you think your other colleagues are using games in the classroom no oh interesting <laughs> no. well we do have this one uh they call it bbp and it's where students can go it's a salk uh, students can go and kind of play like board games with each other and try to you know, practice their language skills at this one like center with it mm -hmm. where they can get together with uh, students from other countries. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of like classroom game usage, um, it's more or less zero. I haven't heard it. A lot of the goes on is very extra big. Gotcha. Same question to Aaron. So game usage in the, uh, the institution. It, it doesn't like, need to I be for languages either. It could be. Just right. in general, yeah. I, I, I would assume it's, well, it kind of, kind of depends on what you mean by games. So, you know, Whoa, we have, let's, let's go there. Yeah. Why not? I, mean, I know that there's a, uh, there's a, um, um, a department or college um, on emergency management on nursing. They do a lot of simulations. Oh, okay. Um, so I don't know if you count those. I know that there's a history professor who uh, used an approach called, I don't remember the name. It's, um, playing through history or something like that, which is essentially a role-playing game. It's right, kind of okay. like you immerse yourself into that historical period. So I don't know if those kind of games, um, the, how they define it would depend on kind of for convenience. Do they want to say that more everyone plays games and then they can cast a, they can cast a wider net and then go with a very loose definition mm. or they can go with a very tight definition and, and say only these are games. And I'm, I'm sure game scholars debate among themselves what, what counts as a game and what yes, doesn't. I'm sure that's the flat group. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, exactly. Um, I was trying to think of like uh, people or groups who have been known to kind of do what would call, be called a very game-based learning approach, like Quest to Learn in mm -hmm. New York. Mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, I, I don't know their curriculum 
very well other than the video clips they share, but I, a lot of them do seem like gamification-ish mm-hmm. and that they are using game as this reason for students to learn something. Um, but I guess they, it could be argued that some of it is gamification-ish or, or good gamification, whatever you want to call it. Right. So, yeah. Okay, great. So some history teachers using maybe simulations, gamified versions of a course, or nurses using simulations and using games in your own context you just mentioned. So a little bit more widespread than Litzemeckan, we can safely assume. Yeah, okay, cool. Um, Okay, question seven. This is the last one of um, your your classroom context. If we focus again then on your game usage in class, um, for Aaron, this will be the video game course that you just mentioned and possibly the upcoming escape room i mean it's probably going to be hard to to talk about something that doesn't exist yet but uh, what what are your roles what what kind of roles do you think you play in in the classroom using games what are the roles that you take on you can think of verbs maybe like facilitator or sage on the stage or you know what 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 does a teacher using games need to do what is the role of the teacher i mean i sorry yeah we'll start with ben we'll start with ben yeah oh with me okay um well uh, what I've noticed is that a lot of the games that I want to always um, like introduce to my students, like they don't know, um, and they don't really see much games outside of their smartphones, like the average student. Um, and so I find myself having to introduce a lot of of these other types of games to them, and to show them that they can actually, um, you know, practice their English or learn different uh, certain facets of language with games. Um, and so I, I find myself not only introducing, but also, I mean, obviously facilitating, um, mm-hmm. bringing them through um, learning about the game and then, and then guiding them through playing the game and then kind of shoving, the, shoving them off on their own and letting them play it themselves for a little bit and then kind of debriefing them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of like, I mean, if it sounds kind of wrong, but I'm kind of like I'm leading them by the nose, really. Um, um, yeah, I think you could phrase that by saying that you as a teacher need to have some kind of be, uh, the best game literacy in the class. You need to you need to be a master of the yeah. game. You need to yeah, you need sure. to have the content knowledge if you're going for sure. If you don't have yeah, if I didn't know about like if I didn't understand for, like literally from back to front uh, the game that I was playing, then there's no reason for me to even consider using it. Okay, so you think that's a that's a pretty that's a must. You must yeah, I, I I do firmly believe that you must like completely understand the game you must understand how people can approach the game it's interesting because um this will probably be cut but the last i've just been editing the the previous origin stories podcast that i recorded um a few months ago and it was ingrid who's a teacher in norway and she had um a a different opinion and they're both not that they're wrong i think they're both right i agree with you i think that as a game teacher i should have the knowledge of the game that i'm bringing in and i can help them Mm -hmm. understand it but she had a great um a different perspective which i think is also valid is that she'd bring a game into class that perhaps the students would know better than her Mm. and then they can show their expertise so it was like her being like down a peg almost like to allow them to kind of show their expertise which is another great way teacher is learner paradigm yeah, it was, it was pretty interesting. Um, so yeah, role, guide, leader. Yeah, I'm the shepherd. <laughs> I like it. Aaron, what kind of roles do you think a teacher has um, in using games in the classroom? I don't know if I, I can kind of easily condense that. I, I think the way I, I would approach that is probably similar to the way I teach mm-hmm. in that I try not to be very upfront. Um, interesting. In that I, 
I, I let students discover things on their own. Mm. And maybe the closest that you mentioned is shepherding. Um, mm-hmm. Even though I think it is helpful sometimes for them to get lost on their own and find their way back. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, so, you know, don't fall off a cliff, that kind of thing, but, um, <laughs> but go but on your own. And- that, that dark mm-hmm. path, go explore it, and, and <laughs> hopefully there aren't monsters there kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So nice. It's very hands-off, I guess. Well, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe the roles that you play in your classroom depend on what kind of group of students you have. I mean, my students are like low-level English learners that are first-year university students fresh out of high school. And so if I just gave them something and said, you know, well, you explore it on your own, they probably wouldn't be able to do it. Fair. Fair. Yeah, I like to keep my, my students. Oh, it's not my interview, so yeah, shut up, James. Okay, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna move on to the we're gonna move on to the next section, and this is about um, communities, our communities of practice. Uh, I think this would be a fairly quick quick round. So, question number eight is: What teaching communities are you involved with? We'll start with Aaron. What uh, teaching communities or research communities are you involved with? I'm not sure because <laughs> I feel like. Because my research kind of intersects with a lot of things, I feel like whenever I go to a conference or something, it's, I feel like I'm an uninvited guest. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I'm interested in kind of the linguistics community, the anthropology or, or sociology part of methodology I mentioned about. I'm definitely interested in education um, and, you know, game, games, uh, game-based learning communities. Um, but I think I always, because I always kind of approach things from the outside or from a different angle, I, I feel like it's, um, I don't feel like I belong to any community um, fully, which I don't know if it's a good thing or not. I think sometimes it might help to be in that position. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's kind of a, where I am. What communities are, invo- are you involved with? Probably the most immediate community that I'm involved with would be... Um, Probably like call-based teachers, computer-assisted language learning. A lot of my colleagues, they use... So you'd say colleagues or you have a community of colleagues that you... Yeah. Um, I mean, if, if I'm just, you know, leaving LLP off to the side and not really talking about it, obviously because I'm involved with LLP. Mm. Um, <clears throat> but the most immediate community around me would definitely be, um, you know, teachers that are looking into using like Netflix or Alexa or, um, you know, personal assistance. <laughs> Um, and, and, you know, um, doing research into these other wild call-based methods of, mm. of like, and I, and I do help them sometimes, like I'm helping out with a paper, uh, one with Alexa right now, one with, um, uh, one with sub, like dual subtitles and things like all okay. these like weird little side projects that I get kind of corralled into. Gotcha. Um, <clears throat> Aaron, so Ben, Ben just mentioned that he has, um, a, a, a slot, a, I don't know if it was small or not, but a community of practice, at least at Ritsumeikan, the university that he works at, of teachers that he can collaborate with and talk to about the specific research agendas and things. Do you have this kind of um, support network at your own institution? Or do you find that you are more connected to people online? And if so, how do you meet those people online? Um, I get invited onto their slacks, basically. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, that's literally it. I mean, I don't, there's definitely no community in my university. I mean, they, they might exist. I just haven't found them other than kind of what I know um, earlier when I mentioned that I know that these things are going on. Right. Um, but I don't think they overlap with my work. And so online, I think I'm not in a very, other than 
um, ludic language. I don't. I'm not part of a very um, coherent group of scholars who are actively pursuing, you know, game-based learning or, gotcha. or anything relating to games. Yeah. Interesting. Do you, do you feel that like game studies is still quite sparse in the United States? Like um, researchers that focus on game studies or or departments that are more welcoming of game studies. Do you think it's it's quite like spread out? Like it's just not in immediate like you know reach range. Um, yeah, I mean, I get a sense, and I don't know if this is still true, but I feel like it's very um, what's that word? Not clicky, but like it's very tight knit group of people, and mm-hmm. um, and I think it's hard to um, be part of that group without an ongoing um, su- support. Like I know a lot of the scholars, um, and you know, G was at Wisconsin for a while, and so a lot of scholars were collected there. I think they all moved now to UC something. Yeah. Um, uh, UC, yeah, the uh, California, right? Uh, yeah, they, they, they moved to a different institution now, so that group has moved. So, and it's, again, it's, UC, it's very, UCL? What is it, not, what is it called? Uh, it's, University of, it's not Santa Cruz. Um, didn't you nearly apply for it, Ben? I, I, yeah, I almost applied for it, but decided not. Wisconsin was, yeah, the home of uh, G, and um, we had Steinkuller, and of course, Squire as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, and I'm sure they're not the only group, but I think that, um, I think that I, I just never, um, I feel like it's it's hard to, and I'm also not very extroverted, <laughs> so huh. I don't push myself into those communities anyway, uh, other than kind of having this very professional um, real kind of knowledge of them um cool. so yeah uh, okay next question if you don't mind mm-hmm. it's um a bit of a, a metaphorical one it's to what what would you compare your journey in the field of games and learning so what what is this journey for you in your research your research journey how would you describe it would it be like uh, in terms of a specific game or a leisurely stroll a hike in the mountains you know a marathon a sprint what how would you describe your I think I'd definitely go for the backpacking in foreign land because I keep getting pulled in random directions or not random directions, but I keep getting pulled in different directions. That I, I realize that like, oh, yeah, I should be going in that direction or I should be going in that direction. Happy little accidents. There's just so much like um, happy accidents. Uh, there's so much like uncovered ground in, in game studies and, and game based language teaching that um, I just I just feel like, you know, a- every paper that you write, every every podcast you make um, every dream you <laughs> every, every yeah. step you make <laughs> uh yeah I, I just feel like you know you open up a whole another you know s- small avenue of possibilities mm. of, of ideas i mean every time we talk on on discord or slack i mean you can just see like ideas just popping up left and right mm. community aaron um well, I think I mentioned, I, you know, I, I talked about stumbling a lot. Like, I think it started out with a leisurely stroll, and then it turned out into, sometimes it would turn out into just walking. It's like walking through, like, Diagon Alley or something, where, where it's just, you discover really interesting things. And, but then also, you, sometimes you also find that, that, that um, you're disappointed in, in some of the things that are being um, written about or studied so it's it's a it's hard i think but i think that's kind of true for academia in general like you Mm. you you know sometimes you explore into something you walk into something that's really fascinating um and then sometimes uh you know sometimes you're disappointed okay um what do you think new teachers need to start using games as a a teaching Mm. tool or if they want to start researching games what, what do you think they need 
I think I'm going to double back on the comment I okay. made. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, let's start with Ben again. Then. I'm going to double back on the comment I made and say you need game literacy. I think you, uh, need, okay. you, need, to, you need to learn about games. I mean, um, you need to understand uh, the possibilities of them. Um, it's... It, I, I don't want to say it's it's less welcoming, but it's more gaming. I think is more of a, because of more of like a, a, a niche material or a, a niche kind of way of learning or consuming media than maybe like television or movies originally were when they first started popping up in the world of you know pedagogy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think like uh, really understanding games and having um, really like a solid game literacy back is, is play a ton of games. Just be a super nerd. Okay. <laughs> Thank, thanks for uh, putting me in that boat as well. Okay. Being a nerd is cool nowadays. Okay. Aaron? Um, I agree. I think they need to play more games. Um, and also just play, um, play different genres that, yep. that you might not necessarily play. I know like, in my research, my, my participants they were playing fighting games, which I never play. And then with the, uh, the group in Seattle, they were playing first-person shooter games, which I kind of play, but not as intensely as they do. Um, sometimes if you kind of go outside of your typical genre of games, um, and not just have to be video games either, it could be any kind of uh, game, mm. you, you learn a lot more. It's, it's, like, it's definitely um, helpful to do that. All right, cool. Last section. So, yeah, this is about doing now and doing next. So we'll start with Aaron. And the question is, what are your current projects? What are you working on? Um, so I would like to. So I, I mentioned the escape room game, and yep. um, I would like to uh, read. You know, broaden the learning with video games. In fact, I think we we uh, submitted a request to change it just to learning with games because it's definitely not just video games. Right. And realistically, because it's a teacher ed program, uh, people are not going to have computer games or console games in their classroom anyway. And board games or card games are more realistic. Um, and then there's the gamification stuff, which may or may not be relevant. <laughs> it's okay. Um, how about research? What projects are you, are you writing? Anything right now? Yes. Um, I would like to. There's a paper that I've um, started on trying to uh, examine using the approach I mentioned earlier about uh, the methodology, which is to look at how this group in um, in Seattle were were um, constructing. <clears throat> This notion of a good and bad player um, in a first-person shooter game—how is it kind of coming in, coming through their language and interaction? How do they um, construct one particular? Per- oh, not one particular, but how do they? What does it mean for them to to be a good player mm. um, in a first-person shooter game? Um, that's something that I've, I've I'm trying to publish in Simulation and Gaming, which is the journal that uh, is. Probably does come out of the the group in the 1970s that I mentioned, so I think it would be appropriate there. I know they have published works about methodology, methodology, so that should be interesting. And um, and the kind of ongoing gamification stuff are um, in a in a way a little bit easier to write because I'm that is kind of an ongoing interest and project, so um, I have more to collect my thoughts on. Gotcha, um, Ben. Yourself, the question uh, was, uh, yeah. What are your yeah. current projects? My current projects have uh, well, I just I, I think I, t- I told you earlier with that I'm starting the f- this is the first semester I'm going to be teaching a games and learning class. Actually, Aaron, you you t- you teach one, so maybe you can give me some pointers. Um, 
But I do have a, like a game seminar that I've, I'm probably going to be teaching this year and next year, and probably that also. Um, and so I've just been trying to work on the curriculum for that while doing a few other projects um, like data science. But that's completely beside the point. Um, uh, and in terms of like things I'm writing, um, I am slowly writing an article which kind of draws attention to the fact that a lot of researchers have um, uh, really emphasized the role of the teacher in the uh, classroom, in the game-based teaching classroom, but no one really, um, it, it's always like a footnote at the end and not, and it's never something that's like the, the, the emphasis of an article. So it's just something to, to draw people's attention to, to teachers and how, how valuable they are to the learning experience of games. Yeah, it's interesting. I think you're probably riffing off the idea of um, research papers from the, the second language or foreign language teaching yeah. um, community, like the call community or the TESOL community. You know, mm -hmm. if you write an academic paper in this in this um, field, you conclude with implications for researchers and implications for teachers, right? That they, they seem to be pretty standard, must have parts of um, yeah. of a paper in the conclusion. This is yeah. what we found. This is the implications for researchers. This is the implications for teachers. Is that what you're using as the starting point? Then? Yeah, I mean, everyone everyone who's written almost anything about teaching game teaching languages games has always said that, well, the, the teacher needs to be more present in the classroom, but no one ever mm -hmm. focuses on it. <laughs> gotcha. Oh, nice paper. You're also writing a paper about uh, the connections between, or at least the similarities between GMing and... That's right. Uh, that's another one. I totally, totally just like slipped my mind. <laughs> but, um... I'll just remember your whole research agenda. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, James. Um, but yeah, I'm also help. Oh, I'm not actually writing. I'm, I'm helping out with it because it is, it is Fabio's. Baby. Wait, are you going to be co-author though, no? Co-authoring, yeah, I'm co-authoring. Mm -mm. It was Fabio's baby. So, I mean, like, I'm, I'm definitely, I think that I'm just a helper on it. Mm -hmm. um, helping him kind of phrase everything in a way that, but um, um, it's essentially a paper which looks at how D&D &D has described the role of the GM or the DM in, in, a, in a normal D&D &D play session, and we're kind of drawing parallels to teaching. And mm. maybe teachers can take some um, kind of, you know, some advice from how 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 D and D kind of instructs its GMs or its DMs to kind of bring move along games. Sounds like gamification. <laughs> Let's not go down that rabbit hole. No, no. This this is yeah. This is something <laughs> that I'm, I'm starting to think seriously about recently. I'll talk to you in a minute. But okay, yeah. so that's that's the projects. We've got two more questions. Mm -hmm. um, what would you like to do in the future? Let's start with Ben again. What would you like to do in the future? As you know, I have a huge passion for data science. And right. so I would love to do something with game-based language teaching that just like just throws just data science at it. I just want to I just I just want to see a lot more stats. <laughs> <laughs> you should talk to Fred on the board. You know Fred Poole. Yeah, yeah, on... He was he was telling me he was um, that he just he... finished his PhD yeah. and it's in a really interesting project using the data collected from gameplay and stuff. So like I would love to 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 get like a huge data set on like teachers and their interactions with, with uh, okay. and like maybe like test scores or, or something or so, something i don't know but okay. like i just want to throw data science algorithms okay. <laughs> at, at game-based teaching fair enough you're super awesome aaron your future what would you like to do in the future in terms of research or teaching either side um i'm not sure i think I, I'm, I'm trying to find my next kind of passion project i don't think i'm, I'm 
I really know what that's going to look like yet. Okay. Um, mentioned D and D earlier. I think one of the things that that didn't take off the ground was that we were I was supposed to work with some um, international students. There's a language um, English language center at, at Delphi um, where students come and they learn English. And um, one of the teachers was really interested in D and D and was interested in using that as a way of of getting students to learn English. So that has kind of stalled because of you know, the pandemic and all that, like that has interrupted a lot of things. So um, I think I would be, I would really like to go back into studying um, games more, more centrally and not just as a, as a kind of a, from the, from the sides. Um, but I think I need to do my own more reading now to see like, what, what are people up to? Like, mm. What is the current state of the field and, and go from there? Gotcha. Thank you very much. Right, last question, very simple one. Uh, where can we learn more about you? Um, so this is your this is your chance to pitch your Twitters and your your Facebooks and your books and stuff like that. Websites. Where can we get if we want to get in touch with you? Or maybe you don't have any. Ben's looking at me very strangely. So we'll start with Ben then. How can I get in touch with Ben? Uh, well, you can get in touch with me at Facebook if you can spell Tiny Wapping correctly. Okay. Um, uh, I don't have a Twitter that I use often. Uh, James and Jonathan have, well, James, been trying to get me to uh, use Twitter a lot more. Um, but don't. It's hard. You don't need to. <laughs> Just don't. It's tough. Um, I'm not good at social networking sites. Um, you can find me on the LLP Slack. Oh, um, yeah. 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 You can definitely find me on there. And on the website, right? Yeah. And on the website. Yeah. Um, but I think those are the only real, like, I don't have a personal website. Fair, fair enough. Cool. Aaron? Probably just go to the LOP Slack is the best way to, to kind of reach me. Um, mm. I mean, I do have Twitter, but I don't, it's not really about my research as much. Or mm-hmm. uh, So, yeah, I, I think if you're interested in me for, for my research or for my interest on games, definitely just, just if you're listening to this podcast, uh, <laughs> just go to the LOP Slack or that would be the best way to find me. Brilliant. Uh, I'd like to thank Ben and Aaron for being great guests. And if you'd like to learn more about us, get involved in the community, um, please check the show notes where we have links to the website and the Twitter account and the journal stuff. Yes.